So we're going to talk primarily about those situations where there's an increase in pressure or an increase in tension that is prolonged enough that we start to recognize it as a painful situation. Kind of summarize all those things. I think pain is just an output of your nervous system. That's information to get you to pay attention. Yeah. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. The reason that I thought this would be a good thing to try to tackle is because of the popularity of the simple solutions videos and just those type of things in general. It's like, hey, you got you got pain on your in your elbow, on the inside of your elbow, do these things. And that's mm-hmm. the real like short, concise version of right. what we're gonna try to talk about with the, the podcast here. Right. So um so these are primarily mechanical solutions. That we yeah. wanna be wanna be very clear about that because there are many reasons why yeah, that might, might decide decide they're not intentionally deciding, but it is a decision that is made, you know, um, centrally yeah. as to why they may have pain. But these are mechanical solutions because there's going to be the there's going to be those contrarians that, that they want to say, oh, well, you don't have to have a mechanical problem to have pain. And that's true. That's very true. In fact, there could be any number of reasons, but these are mechanical solutions. And one of the things that you have to consider is that if the mechanical solution does not provide you an element of relief, then it's time to seek a, the uh, help of a professional. So let's right. just say that up front. It's like, no matter what we say today, if you have a problem, it is best to have it evaluated by the appropriate help. Health yeah. Let's, okay. let's elaborate on that. This disclaimer section here. It's like, this is not the, the things that we talk about on this podcast are not a replacement for having hands-on in-person yeah. help. That's so correct. don't try to take what we're talking about, apply it to yourself and then, you know, make a problem, make a medical problem potentially worse by just blindly doing something about it. Right. It is rarely the best course of action to seek a solution from an online recommendation. Yeah, Doctor Because there's, so, there's too many things that to account for. There's just too many things to account for. Yeah. Right. So Dr. Google and, you know, WebMD and all these things and people are going to self-diagnose based on all this other stuff. And yeah. it's the, the information is all available, but filtering it is the tough part that people don't have the sensitivity to be able right. to do. So a yeah, lot of that is like, are obvious. yeah, sure. It's like if something, if I do an exercise or an activity and the pain is there or it gets worse, don't do it anymore. If it's like, if we, if we offer, so if we're going to say that there's simple solutions for mechanical, mechanical solutions for specific type of presentations of pain, and you try one of those mechanical solutions and it doesn't work or makes things worse then that should be a light bulb moment to, to say to yourself, I should probably seek other help for this Correct. thing. Correct. So direct kind of take, yes, direct help. Direct yes. Help. Don't, yeah. don't try to like see someone in person that has, and that this can be a completely different podcast where we can kind of talk about like the consumer side of when it comes to clinical help, it's like what you should look for, what you should try to pay attention to that you should avoid. I think that's actually really useful information that people don't talk about enough. That'll be a mm-hmm. different podcast. 
Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll just say this because it's as a funny joke. Like if you walk into a, a physical therapy clinic and the whole wall is full of just rolls of TheraBands that they just cut off for each person, they just unroll it, cut it off, slap you through it to an e-stim machine and then come back in 30 minutes, run away. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris obviously had a bad experience. <laughs> oh yeah. We, I mean, we could talk, we could talk about that too. There's a reason why I'd never ended up going to physical therapy school, but that's a different, that's for a different day. Um, okay. So we had the little disclaimer part, things I wrote down that I want to talk about, like, but you had touched on a little bit what pain is and what pain isn't. That can mm -hmm. be like an entire podcast, but we're going to briefly kind of go over that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about relative motion versus orientation. I think that's important to understand uh -huh. the this the four like the four dimensional representation of the pathway to injury. You know, like what happens over space and time that gives someone medial knee pain versus lateral knee pain, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of some applied things and practical things that we can, and takeaway points we can give people of like what a hierarchy of needs would be to restore or attain the things necessary to get pain to go away and keep it away. Mm -hmm. Um, and then since today, I think we're going to talk about, let's talk about knee pain first, cause that's one of the more popular subjects on okay. your YouTube. Okay. And just from questions that we get asked in general, if you, mm -hmm. had, it's a good point to ask people to comment. Um, if you're not subscribed and you watch this podcast, just subscribe, please yeah. just press please. the button. That would be great. Please. And then if you have a comment, like, please leave a comment for us. Cause we always interact with the people in the comments. Uh, so if you have a question or better yet, if we're starting a series about pain and the presentations of pain and things you can do with for certain pains, if you have one topic you'd like to talk about, and there's a, a whole lot of comments in this for this uh, podcast about that, then we'll go there next. Yeah. So leave a comment for us there. Sure. See if this resonates with you. You want to get back to the gym and get in shape. Maybe get back to playing golf or your favorite sport or get out and go for a run. Maybe you just want to move and feel better. But every time you restart, that old ache or strain rears its ugly head and interrupts your comeback. When I wrote All Gain No Pain for my patients who had completed their physical therapy, we knew what they were ready for. You're in a different space with a different starting point than before. You don't feel like a physical therapy patient, so you're going to need to approach this differently. With some guidance, you'll first need to reconstruct your movement foundation that takes your physical structure into consideration. You're going to have ongoing questions as you think differently, so you're going to need a like-minded, supportive community to support your progression. If you're ready to begin your reconstruction, we have a new group starting soon. Pain, what what pain is and what pain isn't? Mm -hmm. Well, it would be a decision <clears throat> that the brain makes to get your attention in, in its most simplest form. There's something that's interesting, changing, noxious, um, something to become aware of. So, so the pain would be the brain saying, hey, I need you to pay attention to this. You might need to do something about it. It might be important if you look at it from that perspective. So, it's, so it becomes a decision based on any number of influences. Um, it, it, I, we actually had a conversation about this not too long ago, not you and I, but, but uh, I think it was on one of the calls where we were talking about um, just how this 
would arise. So for instance, um, if anybody's ever done a set of seated knee extensions or a high intensity interval on a bike, and you notice the discomfort, the localized muscular discomfort associated with that. Uh, the reason that, that that discomfort exists is because there's a change in the environment within that muscle that if it were to continue could be recognized and, as dangerous or could result in something really, really bad. So the high acidity that is accumulated um, in, inside of a muscle, that's one of the reasons why you have a heart attack is because the increase of acidity in the heart muscle, because the heart keeps beating, doesn't have enough oxygen, not enough peripherals. So in a circumstance where you're doing an activity where a muscle is quote unquote isolated and, and working very, very hard, Again, you're going to change that cellular environment. And so there's a signal that goes to the brain and the brain says, hey, <clears throat> this is really interesting. If this continues, um, it's probably a bad idea, like something bad could happen. And so then the pain increases to the point where you go, OK, I'm going to stop. And then you stop and then the environment returns back to its previous state over time. And then that symptom, if you will, goes away. And so in any interesting circumstance, you could have something like that arise. Um, we talk primarily about the mechanically influenced situations. So there would be like an increase in pressure or tension that might be acute or ongoing. And then that results in the, the uh, decision, if you will, um, that I should feel something. And then in, in some cases it would be painful. So again, let me give you a for instance, real simple one. If I sit you in a hard chair, and I don't let you get up, eventually your butt's going to hurt. Doesn't necessarily mean that there's damage or anything like that. It just means that there's a, a change there that, that could have a negative consequence to it. Your brain goes, hey, I need you to get up off the chair um, or something bad might happen, right? You don't get off the chair. So let's just say you're sitting in church or something like that. You can't exactly get up in the middle of the sermon and walk out. Right. So you're sitting on the hard wooden chairs, right, or the, the pew. And uh, so you fidget a little bit. That relieves a little bit of the pressure. It feels a little bit better, but you still get the pressure there. And so then that environment doesn't change enough. So there might be a reduction in blood flow to a certain area because of the amount of pressure that you're applying. Okay. There could be tension on something, which would also reduce blood flow. And again, so you get changes in cellular environment. You get pressures and tensions that you don't really want to have that signals to the nervous system, brain kicks it out all over the place and says, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? So the different areas of the brain all communicate and they go, we really need them to move. And so they make it hurt bad enough so you do something bad. So that's kind of how it works in a nutshell, in a nutshell. And there'll be people that will complain like, oh, that wasn't a very good explanation, but it's a, a good enough for rock and roll, okay, for what we're talking about. Because we're gonna talk primarily about those situations where there's an increase in pressure or an increase in tension that is prolonged enough that we start to recognize it as a painful situation. Yeah. I mean, kind of summarize all those things. I think pain is just an output of your nervous system. That's information to get you to pay attention. Yeah. I think that's the long and the short of it. It's just a, it's just a piece of information that is trying to get your focus to go to somewhere, to something or somewhere else. I can go with that. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. And, uh, the, and on the what it isn't sort of topic, I think that a common because what we're trying to do is get people to reconsider all of these things, like yeah. all these aspects, like what pain is, what pain isn't. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people associate mechanical problems or uh, herniations or ligamentous things with mm-hmm. like, oh, well, my back hurts. So that's my disc that hurts. Like my my slipped disc hurts. And that is, I don't think that people need, people need to understand that that's not always, it's not always a direct relationship. Yeah, it could be the case or it might not. So, so we have incidental findings on, on diagnostics all the time, right? Somebody gets some imaging done. And um, so one of the great, for instances, um, somebody comes in with left-sided lower back pain, maybe reference into the extremity, like into the hip or into the extremity on the left side. And they get an MRI done and they get a disc herniation on the other side. Chances are that disc herniation is not, you know, the direct influence of why you may be symptomatic on the other side. Okay. So you'll see, or, or you'll have multiple levels of, of change. And it was just an incidental finding on an MRI. Like you didn't actually have pain in that area. doesn't mean that, that it can't be a contributor. If you do have pain in that area, it just means that it's not an absolute. So when we see changes in structure, if, if it's, there's no reason for, um, for, you know, the, the system to respond to it, if it's a non-threatening situation or it's perceived as a non-threatening situation, then it, it may not be the cause of the pain, right? But again, it's not an either or. This is why we have to look at this thing from a multifactorial standpoint. It was, we have to take all of the information into consideration. Then we can make a decision as to, you know, the whys and the wherefores as to, as to what may be the, the contributors. Yeah. The, the story I typically like to tell whenever I have the conversation about someone's MRI or someone's x-ray or someone's imaging diagnostics is I don't remember the exact percentages. I'm sure in post I will put on the screen what the numbers are. <laughs> Looked at their shoulders and their hips and they found a certain percentage. It was actually a very high percentage, something like 80% of people had hip and labral tears. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't a hundred percent of those people that had reported any type of hip or shoulder pain or injury right. in their lifetime. Right. So it's not. It's and and I know for a fact based on MRIs that I've had that I have tears. I have like minor slap tears in both of my shoulders, but I don't have any shoulder pain. Yeah. But that's something I, I like to tell people too. It's just that just because you take an imaging, you take imaging of your hip, and there's a labral tear in your hip. Mm-hmm. Don't be so quick to think that like, oh, that means I need a hip replacement because it's damaged. Right. Or to right. even say that like, if I have, if I have a, a anterior hip pain on that side, that is because of the labrum, because that's not necessarily true either. Right. And that's right. just another. Yeah. The, I mean, this is, yeah, this, I mean, and again, there's, there's, there's plenty of examples where they're, they're looking at, you know, changes in knees every decade or changes in the spine every decade, you will always see these degenerative changes progress based on age. So in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, all of these things change in in what we'd perceive as, an, as a negative way, but it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna have a symptom or more pain or any yeah. uh, you know, other perceived um, consequence. If anything in particular, you were saying that, you know, there's lots of examples of how mechanical 
issues do not always lead to pain. If there's anything mm-hmm. else you can think of there, now would be the well, time to offer it. Well, again, the, the, the big ones are, are the fact that if you live a life, you will have changes in your physical structure. And, and chances are at some point in time, you may experience pain and it might show up on something. And, and the, the thing you want to recognize is like, okay, um, if I have pain on Tuesday, I didn't have it on Monday, chances are it's the same structure you had on Monday. Now, maybe it crosses over a threshold and then you can't recover from that. So that's entirely a possibility. But, you know, un- unless you have something of significance, um, you know, it, it, you don't want to default to, oh, woe is me. I have a change in structure. It'll never, ever be the same. I'll never, ever recover. You have to play the process out. <laughs> they have these like emergency broadcast towers in all the neighborhoods here. Oh, Nice. And they run them, you know, it's always in the middle of people's work day. So except for me, who doesn't really have a normal. <laughs> I thought you were being invaded by aliens, to be That's honest. That's what it sounds that was, like. That was, um, anyways, so talking about that, uh, we were talking about why, you know, a mechanical issue. I wouldn't even want to call it an issue, like a mechanical finding. So say like mm-hmm. some sort of minor tearing of a ligament or a tearing of a, uh, you know, meniscus or something like that. Mm-hmm. The thing, one of those, it's like one of those like Schrodinger situations. It's like, <laughs> unless you look at someone's knee, like they, they do and they don't have an ACL tear, uh-huh. but yeah. it's like, and you don't know until you go in there and you look, or you look on an image and cause you, if you haven't had pain, you might live your whole life of having like a, a partial uh, meniscus tear. Yeah. And well, especially, you. yeah, especially in older folks like me, um, the, there's often, there's a very common finding where, um, they'll look at, they'll look at the meniscus, there'll be changes in the meniscus and it's, it's like flipping a coin as to whether a surgery would even help it. And so, so a lot of times they're just treated, they're treated conservatively in, in most circumstances. And in most cases they do, they do quite well. Um, and then, so you go the conservative route in most cases. If that doesn't suffice, then you know the surgery is always an, a, a fallback option, but it's not not usually the first choice. Like I said, especially in old folks, if you have a rather severe uh, meniscus tear in an athletic event where it's obvious, so this is an obvious injury. This is not something that that changed over a long period of time that might be a totally different case where maybe you can treat it conservatively, but in a, in a lot of cases, especially from an athletic standpoint, um, they would uh, expedite that. And again, especially right. in, a, well, in a professional situation where it's like, okay, we just got to get this done and get you yeah. back as quickly as possible. I mean, they're an asset, they're an asset to a company. Like they, their, their job right. is to make the team better and to get right. wins and, so yeah. they, they might need a, in an acute sense. And that's, that's a good thing to bring up too, is this like the continuum there of acute injury from an impact versus like this slow progression over 40 years of you just right. wearing away at your knee joint yeah. with your movement behaviors, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in, a, in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, there is a reason that, that, that it exists. Um, yeah. And again, especially when we're thinking, when, when we're thinking mechanically, um, in the, in these circumstances, 
um, you think about the the progressions of of how we change our movement throughout time and the certain pathways that we will follow based on our structures and such. Um, some of this stuff um, is is predictable in hindsight. So we use we use foundational structure and then we use the sort of point B representation, which would be where you are at this point in time. And then we can often reverse engineer these mechanical situations and alleviate um, the, the causation in these mechanical um, pain circumstances. That's not annoying at all, in fact. <laughs> uh, you got a hurricane? Like they, haven't, they haven't done this. I can't remember the last time they did this and they had to do it right now. It's so funny. <laughs> that's my, that's my life in a nutshell right now. And cut. Okay. About that. And I wasn't sure if we should talk about that first, or if we should talk about like the pathway to end game, like how, how over time things change and how people, people like, we talk about this a lot, but coming to you and being like, my knee never used to hurt running before. Mm -hmm. So why should it hurt now? And it's like, well, you know, it's not an, it's not a, this equals this scenario. Right. But people need to, people need to recognize the fact that time is passing and you are yeah. not the same person five minutes ago. Right. And, and so now let's extend that period of time and let's take into consider all of the positions you assume, all the activities that you perform and the consequences thereof based on your physical structure. Right. So you have a certain, certain foundational structure that has certain capabilities and certain biases. And then as you move through time, um, you're going to respond to any number of, of influences, like I said, from positions to activities, exercise, sports, whatever it may be. And you're going to use that structure to achieve some sort of desired outcome. And in doing so, there are consequences to that. Um, some predictable, some, some lesser so, but, but in a lot of cases, um, if you arrive at a situation where things used to move differently and now they don't, uh, they don't move differently enough, that could be, result in too much time in one place, too much pressure in one place, too much tension in one place that we would uh, start to recognize as pain. And so um, this is where we should probably lean into the difference between relative motions and, and an orientation. And so what, what we perceive typically as our joints, so the knee, the hip, the shoulder, elbow, et cetera, there is a certain amount of relative motion available in those joints. So what relative motion would be is, is the fact that I could have one aspect of that joint turning in one direction, one as aspect turning the opposite direction as we move through space. And this would be your basic, typical, normal, comfortable movement that you would not recognize anything as being painful. As I move through time and as I move through space and as I respond to all things uh, movement related or positional, what I may find is that is that that relative motion moves closer and closer to an end constraint. And then when I hit the end constraint, now I have things that are moving together. So where I had the relative motions that wouldn't put prolonged pressure or tension in any one spot, now I have things that are actually moving simultaneously. There is no differential between those segments like there used to be. And now I have an ongoing pressure or tension that would again result in a recognition that there might be pain. 
Still, still going outside. The um, so yeah, I think that so understanding that so traditional flexion and extension of your elbow that that motion is occurring because of these relative motions. So there's actually an internal and external rotation happening in opposite directions that allows for that motion to occur. And when that doesn't occur, then you have to have there's going to be. <laughs> just okay um when we don't have when we don't have those relative motions occurring on top <laughs> you gotta leave this in you this just is just got, unbelievable you gotta leave it in <laughs> i just want to light my room on fire right yep. now um, I if would love like... to keep talking, but I don't think I can. I feel like this thing is going to go off again. So I guess I'm going to introduce this topic and then you can talk about it because I can't elaborate on anything right now. So yeah. I think what I was trying to get at was relative motions allow for flexion and extension to happen at joints in a way that in a, to be able to communicate in a way that people will understand. Uh, mm -hmm. And when that doesn't mean you can't bend that joint you can get the you can get that joint to bend but without those relative motions there's going to be some tension and stuff is going to shift in certain directions and that's going to lead to sometimes where pain might occur right there's 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 a consequence there's a consequence because we have certain mechanics that we would consider ideal to to allow for this relative motion to to um, um, to be demonstrated but we can also move against those mechanics in certain situations, and that may result in something that we would consider, again, comparing to the normal, the abnormal movement behavior that would result in the undesired pressure and tension that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think, and I think giving an example will help people. So if you have someone with a knee, some type of knee issue or knee pain, <laughs> Uh, and typically you, for, in terms of ranges of motion, you would love to see someone have full, uh, extension and flexion so they can get their heel to their butt and they can fully extend their leg out straight. Um, some of those people could potentially sit to their heels, right? Like be on the ground yeah. and sit all the way back to their heel and have the illusion of a knee that could completely flex. Uh -huh. What, what, and, and then that can confuse some people because it's like, well, I have relative motions then, don't I? Um, not exactly. Okay, so this is where we can separate the, the 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 normal mechanics of the joint, normal muscle behavior, and then the the alternative positions that will allow motion to occur. So, um, using the knee as the example. So, what what tends to not get recognized well enough, in my opinion, is the fact that there are turns that are associated with bending and straightening your knee. When you maximally straighten your knee, as most people would perceive it to be, the tibia turns outward relative to the, the femur, your thigh bone. Okay, So there's a twist that goes across your knee under that circumstance. There would have to be muscle activity that would be associated with that that would allow that motion to occur, which creates a bias in this, this turning of, of the tibia. In, in response to that, if you have a situation where part of your quadriceps muscle is not active as you bend the knee and the other part is. So we would say the, the outer part of your, your quadriceps would be most active. That's going to keep the tibia turned outward. The, the other part that on the, on the inside 
um, of the knee could be, as people would perceive it, relaxed. It's not necessarily relaxed per se. It just doesn't have uh, nearly as much activity in it. That will actually allow the knee to bend in that circumstance against the mechanics that would naturally occur as you bend the knee, which would be the tibia turning inward um, during the, the middle portion of bending your knee. So under that circumstance, yeah, you could sit back on your heels. Um, you may feel absolutely nothing, but there's a consequence to that where the connective tissue behaviors over time might result in something that we don't want to occur, which would be um, in, in some cases, uh, this could actually turn into one of those meniscus type of injuries. Because when we look at the acute representation of how meniscus, meniscus injury occurs, it is the expanded representation of the anterior medial aspect of the knee, the front inside part of your knee, um, where, where that can occur. So again, just because you can, you can move in, in, a, in a certain way doesn't make it optimal. So if you don't have true relative motion, like we're mm -hmm. talking about. So one part can mm -hmm. internally rotate on top of a part that's externally rotating in a relative mm -hmm. sense. Right. But I still can close, I can close the joint. I can make it look like the joint is closed. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done that through like connective tissue behavior and shoving stuff in one direction and creating mm -hmm. like a really big, it's not even really a gradient anymore. It's a very big bias towards one side of a, a joint, more or less. Think of it. Think of it as squeezing one end of a water balloon. Yeah. And the other side expands, right? It doesn't burst, right? But you can definitely tell that there's a difference in tension on the two ends, right? right? And so you're, so when you bend a knee like that, the, the fluid inside your knee has to be able to shift around. All it needs is a space to move into if the space is big enough because you've, re again, reduced the muscle activity enough, then you can, you can achieve that position. But once again, it's like if, if you were going to load the knee in that position, it may not be um, a, a uh, desired shape or position of that joint in that circumstance, right? right. Because again, that's, that's how, yeah. that's how these injuries happen, right? It's, 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 it's the, the consistent use of a, of a mechanical um, position or an acute uncontrolled uh, uh, change of position that would result in, in these type of things. So that's how you get a wear and tear type of an injury versus the acute. Similar circumstances, one more time dependent, right? So lower tension, long period of time, very high tension, very short period of time, right? And so again, I could have a very similar result, like I could get a meniscus tear in both situations. One might yeah. be less threatening than the other because it happened over a longer period of time, but the end result on structure might be the same. So the things uh, I'll put up a picture or a graphic of like a tire that's been worn in a certain area. When you put air into it, will it kind of inflate? It's the water balloon uh, or the balloon concept you're talking about. Like a weakness in the balloon or the tube is going to mm -hmm. expand more. So you're going to see like, and that typically is what you would call like when you see like a hernia, like a sports hernia, umbilical hernia. Sure. That's the same yeah. type of thing that's happening. It's oh. that pressure and volume shift. Um, and you can see that. So I think maybe if we talk about like comparing a disc, like a spinal disc herniation to like mm -hmm. what's happening at the knee and how mm -hmm. those are actually like the same thing in a yeah. lot of cases. Yeah. Maybe we show, we can, we can show these two as like a, as a, a sort of a coherent example. 
Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.